Good morning. Being from the north, being from near Belfast, uh, the, the Titanic's kind of a big deal. We always say it was probably our greatest export. Some of you might disagree. I'm sure most of you have seen the movie, The Titanic. Remember Leonardo and Kate? Remember that? Has anybody been up to the exhibition, the Titanic exhibition? Quite a few of you, actually. I've never been on it. But uh, I, was, I was reading about the Titanic recently, and I was surprised to discover that it was actually it was one of three uh, luxury liners that were owned by the same company at that time, the White Star uh, Shipping Company, which is mildly interesting if you're some sort of boat geek. But that isn't what, what really impressed me. What, 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 what shocked me most was that the other two, one was called the Olympic and one was called the Britannic, which were made at the same time as the Titanic, all three of them sank. In fact, one of them almost sank, it went down a little bit, and the other two sank, which again is mildly interesting. But here's the thing that shocked me most that there was one lady who was working on all three boats. The Titanic, the Britannic, and the Olympic. Uh, and the Olympic. Her name was Violet Jessup. Now, I, I'm not saying she had bad luck. I'm just saying that I am not getting onto a boat that Violet Jessup is getting on. You know, apparently uh, the Titanic was known as the unsinkable ship. In fact, when one lady was getting onto it, she turned to one of the crew and she said, is this, real, is this ship really unsinkable? And he turned to her and said, Madam, God himself couldn't even sink this ship. Not the wisest thing in the world, eh? Uh, but uh, but this, this lady, uh, Violet Jessup, she started out on the Olympic in, t in 1910. A year later it collided with another ship, it nearly went down. She survived and made it home safely. She then went to work on board the Titanic first maiden voyage, as you know from the movie. It hit an iceberg and sadly 1,500 people lost their lives. Violet got into one of the lifeboats and was rescued. You'd think at that stage she would get a different job. Go and work in KFC, go and work in Aldi, go and do something a bit less stressful, but not our valid Jess. No, she then went to work on the Titanic sister ship, the Britannic. It ran into a German bomb in the Aegean Sea and sank. Violet didn't manage to get onto a lifeboat. She jumped overboard and was rescued, but in doing so, she fractured her skull but didn't realise. She thought she just had a bad headache. And I mean, she was a she was a, a strong woman. She was a, a determined woman. She didn't even retire after that. She spent the rest of her life working on different ships until she was in her sixties and retired. And unbelievably, none of them sank. Now, I can say, if I was getting onto a boat at that time, I would have said, hey, "Can you check is Violet working on this boat?" And if she was working, I would say, I will get the next one. I don't mind how long I have to wait. But actually, she got a nickname at that time because of, of uh, all of the boats shipping on. She was actually known as Miss Unsinkable. Miss Unsinkable. Do you know, the Apostle Paul, if I were to give him a nickname, it would be Mr. Unsinkable. Because in 2 Corinthians, he writes a letter to the church. And look at what he says. He's talking about some of the stuff that he's been through. And he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. And this is before the shipwreck that we're going to read about today, which means he was actually shipwrecked four times. Imagine if the Apostle Paul had married Violet Jessup. <laughs> that would have been a wedding at sea that you wouldn't have wanted to go to, yeah? But actually he was shipwrecked four times and yet he survives every single one of them. So I think he deserves to be called Mr. Unsinkable. And as men and women of God, we need to be unsinkable. 
How many of you know there's some storms going on at the minute? I mean, there's always storms. You know what, we have this illusion, I think, that if we could get back to good old days of 2019, life would be so much better. How many of you know 2019 wasn't perfect? And 2018 wasn't perfect because we might not have had some of the big storms out there, but we've had some of the storms in here. You see, there's, types, there's, there's the internal storms. There's the storms of relationships. There's the storms of finances. There's all the stuff that we just go through being human. But then 2020 hit, and then there was the storm of COVID and all the restrictions and all the stuff that came with that. And then eventually, after two years, we started to emerge out of that. And now we've hit another storm with the horrible situation in Ukraine and all of that, which is just horrendous. And then we've got the storm at the minute of the, the, the supply chain issues. Now, I know it's maybe not just as much down here, but we're really starting to feel the effects. There, uh, with inflation and fuel charges and gas charges and all of that. I think it's going to be a very difficult winter for people. Uh, we, we really believe in where we are that it's going to be a choice for a lot of families this winter. Will, will we hate or eat? <laughs> because at the minute in the summer they don't have to have the fuel on so much, so they're, they're not. But I, I think also as a church we're starting to think about food banks and how we can reach the community. And then there's, there's all of the other stuff. There's the stuff with China and Taiwan. There's, there's all the sifting and shifting going on in the church. And then on top of that there's monkeypox. Monkeypox. Who would have thunk it? Ah, monkey, see if you've got monkeypox. If you come forward for prayer, I am not laying hands on you. You take your monkey and your pox somewhere else completely. But how many of you know there's a world where there's a lot of shaking and a lot of shifting and a lot of upheaval and a lot of upset and a lot of chaos and a lot of crisis going on? And as men and women who believe in Jesus Christ, we must be unsinkable. We must learn how to stand firm in the storm. We must not be thrown about like everybody else is. But we must be people who stand on Jesus Christ and the rock of his word. We all go through storms. And let's be honest, some of them, some of them are of our own making. We take Jonah, for example. Jonah's storm was through his own disobedience. You know, as Christians, we're up, we're great. It was the devil. The devil got me into this. The devil was on holidays in Tenerife because you did enough to get into the storm yourself. Do you know what I mean? Some of us, it's not the devil. It's our own decisions. It's our own stupidity. We, we knew what was happening. But we pursued a course and a path that we knew would lose a storm. Sometimes it's other people's actions. Sometimes it's just life. 2020 brought us into a storm that nobody really was to blame, no matter what some people might think. That, that it's just life. And sometimes, sometimes life or storms are just part of nature. Just, just, we just go through storms. So it's not will we face storms, it's how will we face storms. Because you will face storms. Some of you are facing storms this morning. <clears throat> Some of you are right in the middle of a storm right now. So how do we face storms? That's what we're going to think about today. Acts 27, look at verse 1. We're not going to look at it all, but look at verse 1 with me. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to, the, to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. I need to give you a tiny bit of background here. Paul at this stage has been under house arrest for two years in Caesarea for preaching the gospel. He wouldn't stop preaching. Uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders have trumped up charges against him. He's under house arrest. They won't bring him to trial. He's fed up. And so as a Roman citizen, he appeals to the highest court in the land, to Caesar himself, and he's going to Rome. 
Now, Paul has always wanted to go to Rome. It was the heart of the empire, the belly of the beast. Look at what he says in Romans 1. I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you. This is a church in Rome. I have longed for many years to see you. You see, this is just a little side point, but here's something I want to say to you. Sometimes God gives you what you dream and what you desire, but not in the way that you thought he would do it. How many of you know that? Some of you just need to look at your husband and wife to realize that. You had a list and they are not that list. Yeah? You had 46 points of what your husband or wife had to be and they matched three of them. And 23 years later, you're still married to them. Because you had a dream and desire. You had the way you thought it would turn out and then there's the way God did it. And how many of you... Are thankful that God didn't do it your way. If, if you're married to someone and you're not thankful, don't say a thing right now. Just look straight ahead, okay? But we all, we have these plans that God is going to do it like this. And Lord, if you just do it like this. and God, You know, Paul always wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go as a preacher. He wanted to preach the gospel. He wanted to encourage the churches. And now, eventually, five years after he wrote that, he's going to Rome. But he's not going as a preacher. He's going as a prisoner. At least he's getting the fare uh, uh, free. He's getting there free. The government's paying for him. But he will still get to preach the gospel anyway because you can chain the man or the woman of God, but you cannot chain the word of God. You can contain and restrict the public gathering of the saints, but you cannot contain or restrict the preaching of the word of God. And so Paul gets to Rome, but not exactly how he planned it would be. Let's keep reading verses 4 and then 9 to 12. From there, we put out to sea again and passed the lay of Cyprus. Sounds lovely because the winds were against us. Much time, verse 9, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the death of atonement. That already, that just means simply it was storm season. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. My first main point this morning is this, and there's not a lot of them. The voices we listen to often determine the storms we face. The voices that you listen to will determine the storms that you face. They swap ships, they're moving slowly, the storm is starting to brew very slowly. It says the wind was against us, nothing too serious, just a a wind pushing against them, stopping them making too much progress. Some storms are like that, they start slowly, they build up gradually, we have time to prepare, we've got some warning, you can spot the signs. Your company that you work for has got less orders coming in. Your marriage is growing more and more distant. You notice there's something wrong with your child. They're not behaving the way they used to. They've got withdrawn and inward. And you just, you know there's something wrong. There's warning lights. and, 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 And you can avoid them or you can heed them. I don't know if you're like me. Those warning lights that come on the dashboard of your car. Like, unless it's really like the engine's about to explode, I try to ignore them. Like, I had one came on about three months ago. It's still flashing. And, uh, but you know what I did? 
I got so tired, it was the airbag light, something wrong with the airbag, something wrong with the airbag. And I just got so sick of looking at it, I just put black tape over it, so we wouldn't have to look at it. How many of us do that sometimes? God gives us warnings and we're like, I see the warning, but I don't want to heed the warning. And so we just keep pursuing the same course of action. There's some storms that we just, uh, that build up slowly in their signs, but then there's other storms that hit you out of nowhere. You didn't see them coming. You had no preparation time. You had no time to, to think through how you might deal with it. That phone call that you get at 2.40 a.m. on a Sunday morning. That text message that you oversee that you weren't meant to see. That comment someone says to you that just rocks your world. That diagnosis that you get after a test that you thought would be fairly routine and the doctor says, I need to see you next week. In Acts 27 here, the storm could have been avoided. There's already warning signs. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul warned them, man, that's a warning sign, that phone right there. <laughs> man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Paul sees the warning signs. Let's be honest, he's been in enough storms to know what the warning signs are by now. And he knows this isn't looking good. But something else is going on here because look at what he says. I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. I believe that there's something prophetic going on here. That God is telling Paul, don't do this. And God will do that with you at times. He will give you nudges. Those little Holy Spirit prompts. Those little things that sometimes you can just call it a gut feeling. That you just know that you shouldn't do that. You know you shouldn't take the job. You know you shouldn't go on that date. You know you shouldn't get into that relationship. You know you shouldn't go to that thing or that place or with that person. You know because there's something. And as, we, as Christians we know it's the Holy Spirit living within us. And he is prompting us. And he's nudging us prophetically. Stunned. Do that. Stop doing that. We are so thankful that we have the spirit of the living God within us. Amen. You know, I, I have friends who go to a church called CFC. But Paul Reed, you know, Paul, he comes down here to preach. He's down here. Paul's a dear friend of mine. I went in there in 2015. And it was the first time I'd ever preached there. And they only showed me this about a year ago. I went in there in 2015 and began to prophesy over them. And I said to them, you know, you guys need to upgrade your audio-visual system so that you can live stream. And I looked at them and I said, you won't need it now, but you'll need it in 2020. That was in 2015. And they hated it and they were able to stream to thousands of people. God gives us these prompts. God gives us these, these nudges. God speaks to us through his word, but it's up to us whether or not we heed them. Look at verse 10. Man, I can see, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. You can see it. You can sense it. You can feel it. This isn't going to go well. Look at verse 11. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And why wouldn't he? I mean, who is Paul here? Paul's a nobody. I mean, we know him as the great apostle Paul. Here he's just a preacher and a prisoner. Who's he to tell anyone what to do? He has no authority whatsoever in this context. And yet he carries an authority from God to speak in every situation. Here's what I believe. I believe that on this boat, Paul essentially represents the word of God. 
Paul as the preacher of the gospel represents the word of God on this boat. And the pilot and the owner of the ship, they represent worldly authority and popular opinion. Because look at what it says, verse 12. The majority decided that we should sail on. So Paul's saying, guys, this isn't going to be great. I don't think we should sail. But the majority decided we should sail on. So we have the word of God saying one thing and we have the worldly experts and the majority saying something else. It's God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And look at what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, what the majority are saying here makes sense. The experts sound incredibly persuasive. Their arguments are more convincing. But what we will see is that following the experts and the majority opinion took them into a storm that nearly destroyed every one of them. Let me say something to you, Grace Church. Just because the majority thinks something is right does not make it right. In 2022, church, we need to believe that. We need to live that. Just because the majority think it's right doesn't make it right. We are a minority community. We are a people who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What that saying is that you as a man or woman or young person of God is different and you are distinct from the world around you. You will never win the world around you by being like the world around you. You win the world by being different to the world around you. And there's this myth in the church that if we can just let the world like us, if we can just be popular, if we can just blend in, then they'll all want to be Christians. Do you know what that just tells them? That Christianity is a farce and it doesn't work. As Christians, we are believers in the word of God. We are people who follow a savior who was hung on a cross. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We believe he rose from the grave. He conquered death. It doesn't make sense. And yet it is the truth. It is what we stand on. This book is what we live by. And you know what? The majority out there might think this is a made up book. It's full of fables. I don't care what they say. I am building my life and my family and my future and my finances on this book no matter what the majority say. And I want to say to you, church, that there's coming a day when believing this book and proclaiming this book and preaching this book will get you into trouble. I tell my church I know I'm going to do prison ministry from the inside one day. And I'm ready for it. I am because I will not accommodate the word of God to the culture. The culture is meant to bow the knee to the word of God. It is living and active. It is the word of God. And Paul here, as the one who represents the word of God, is saying one thing. The majority are saying another. And the majority opinion nearly gets them killed. It nearly gets them destroyed. Look at what Proverbs 14.12 says. And I'm going to use a good old King Jimmy version here. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jesus himself said, enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Many, the majority enters through the wide road and the wide gate that lead to destruction. But as believers we go the narrow way. We go the Jesus way. We go the gospel way. We go the word of God. So when you know the truth, when you know what's right, don't be swayed by popular opinion. Don't be swayed by pressure. Don't be swayed by what our culture believes. Don't be swayed by what your friends believe. Stand on the word of God. Stand on the truth of God. Stand on what God has said. Because it will outlast every... You know what? Trends come and go. Truth lasts forever. We're not trying to be trendy. We're trying to be people of truth. We're men and women of God. And a corrupt generation who are pointing the way to the light. Look at verse 20. 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood before them and said, Men, you should have listened to my advice. <laughs> Women. <laughs> That's a great life verse for you. To tell your husbands, Men, you should have listened to my advice. That's a great Mother's Day sermon for next year, Michael. Men, you should have listened to my advice. Huh? My wife has that on the fridge. Magnet, you know. Man, you should have listened to my advice. He's kind of saying, I told you so. I told you so. You should have listened to my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. In other words, it didn't have to happen. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. <laughs> You're going from one trial to another. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. In other words, sometimes the favor of God that's on you will protect those also around you. You don't even realize the favor's on you. <laughs> the favor of God that rests on you is sometimes blessing those around you and they don't even know it. Don't we see that with the life of Joseph? Everywhere he went, throw him in prison, favor of God. In the palace, favor of God. In Potiphar's house, favor of God. No matter what they did to him, the favor of God was like an umbrella that covered those around him. May you be somebody who, when you go into a workplace, the boss says, I don't know what's going on, but since you've arrived, things have changed. This place used to be full of contention and everybody fought with each other, and then you arrived. As a friend, who, when she, she was a, a dental nurse, when she went to leave, her boss said, how much will it take for you to stay? Because he said, when you came in here, something shifted in this dental practice. And I don't want to lose it. Amen. You might not even realize it. You carry the favor and the blessing and the presence of God into every single place you go. And that room is different because you're in it. And every demon in that place has to flee when you walk into it. Because you are a man or woman with the spirit of God living within you. Where are we? I could, I could just preach all day in this place. I love this church. I could preach, but I'm not going to, but I could. I love this. This place, it's just, it pulls the word of God out of you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. They haven't eaten in a long time, because let's face it, if you've ever been in a rocky boat, who wants to have a hamburger? Do you know what I mean? Like you'd be talking to you in the big telephone. So this is Paul's moment. This is where Paul shows what real unshakable character looks like. Real character is not following the majority or being dictated to by how you feel. Real character isn't shown, so shown when the sun is shining and the sea is calm. Real character is shown in a crisis. Real character is shown when everything's falling apart. 
Real character is shown when every, every, when every storm and every, every shaking is hitting you. And you know what? Can I be honest? I struggled during COVID. And you know what I really struggled with? And I, I've told my own church this, so I'm not telling you something I haven't told them. That there were people who've been believers for 30, 40, 50 years who, who, who I thought were solid, mature believers who went to pieces. And I please don't hear judgment in that. I was just shocked. It broke my heart. That there were the people who I thought would have stood firm, would have been speaking faith, and all they were speaking was fear. And I actually got up one Sunday and I said to them, guys, what's the worst that can happen? That's what I ask myself sometimes. What's the worst? And you know what the worst was? You die. And I went, so what? And I don't mean that, but because uh, we lost people, it was. But but if you're a believer, death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Hallelujah. Paul said, I don't know what I want more. I want to be with you so I can help you, but I desire even more to go and be with him. It's a win, win. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. Because here's the reality: one day you're going to die anyway. I would rather die being courageous, full of faith and boldness because of Jesus than wither away and, and hiding from the world in case anything bad happens to me. Amen. We are men and women of faith who believe that death is not final. Death doesn't have the last word because we have a Jesus who died and rose again. He conquered the grave. We don't just sing it. We live it. Death is not a full stop. It is a comma where we pass through and we transition from here to be with the Lord Hallelujah. and I cannot wait and when you lose your fear of death you know what there's nothing else can scare you when you lose that fear of death nothing can intimidate you because all other fears come from that fear and Paul had no fear of death and so Paul steps up and when everyone else has given up hope and there's nothing but despair, Paul steps up and shows real leadership. You see, the captain and the owner of the boat and the centurion might have had position and title and leadership on the boat, but real leadership is not position and title or wearing a badge. It's someone who steps up when everyone else is losing their heads. It's someone who steps up and says, guys, calm down, have courage, I, we're going to get through this. It's someone who carries responsibility. It's someone who carries God's authority and I want to say to you you are positioned wherever you are you may say well I'm not a leader I want to say to you you are a leader yes. you're a leader in your family yes. you're a leader in your street you're a leader in your business you're a leader in your factory you're a leader somewhere and when the crisis comes and when the chaos comes and when the shaking comes and when the storm comes people are going to look at you and go how should we react <laughs> you know, those of you it's just in a picture there of when our little boy was young. And those of you who have kids will know this. When they fall and hurt themselves, what's the first thing they do? They look at you to see how you react. Yes. Yeah? Yes. yeah? And if you panic, they panic. Yeah. I was always like, get up, you're fine. You know, there's blood like pouring out of his leg. You know, Elijah, you're fine. But if you panic, they panic. I want to say to you right now, the world and the shifting and shaking and upheaval and storms that isn't going to stop. I'm sorry, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but this is not going to, it's just going to be one thing after the other because Jesus says these things must happen as his time draws near. 
They're going to increase, increase in intensity and frequency. I want to tell you the shaking isn't stopping, but the world are going to look at you and by how you respond, they're going to respond. If you go to pieces, they'll go to pieces. If they're going to pieces and you're not, they're going to say, why aren't you going to pieces? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I'm not going to pieces. Because I have a saviour. I have a lord. I have a king. I have a foundation. I have a rock. I have a refuge. I have a strength. There is a God in heaven who rules sovereignly and supremely. He has not abdicated his throne. He has not vacated his throne. And he rules and reigns in all authority. And that's where I put my trust. Not on what I watch on CNN or Sky News or RTE or wherever else. My hope is in the Lord of heaven and earth. Look at what he says again. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves in this damage and loss. But now, I love that little phrase. I wasn't going to preach in this, but there's something on that. But now. We can't do anything about but then. But now. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you even did things last night and you're sitting here and you're filled with guilt and shame. Some of you have done things in the last week or two and you're filled with regret. And I want to say to you, you can't do anything about but then. But you can't do something about but now. Because in between but then and but now is a cross with a saviour on it. And he takes your but then and he covers it with his blood and he buries it in the tomb and he rose again and your sin is gone and you can have a new future but now. You can't do anything about but then. It may be filled with regret and pain and shame and heartache and loss and rejection. You can't change that. But now. You can face forward. But now you can change your focus. Look at what it says. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Is that good news or bad news? Depends what part of the sentence you read, doesn't it? Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Only the ship. For every person on the boat, the ship was the one thing that they didn't want to be destroyed. It was where they were putting their hope. It was where they were putting their trust. It was the one thing they thought would keep them safe. The ship is anything apart from Jesus that we put our hope and our trust in. It's our bank balance. It's our relationships. It's our home. It's our job. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things can be good things. There's nothing wrong with the boat. But if your hope is in the boat, you're going to sink. If your hope is in the boat in the storm, you're not going to stay afloat. And that rhymed and that was good. If your hope is in the boat, there's nothing wrong with the boat. I'll row, row, row that boat all day long. There's nothing wrong with your job or having a good bank balance or a nice family or a nice... There's nothing wrong. But if your hope is in the boat when the storm comes... Jesus told a wee story about that, didn't he? When the storm came, if your hope's in anything apart from him, crash. But if your hope's in him, you stand. So you can lose your job. You can lose your status. You can lose your position. You can crash your car. You can lose your church even or your family. But when your hope is in the boat or is not in the boat, you're not going to sink. Because your hope is on a firm foundation. Where does Paul get this unsinkable courage? Where does Paul get this unshakable confidence? Verses 23 and 24. Last night in the angel of the God... To whom I belong and whom I serve. I love that. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? 
Last night, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. I belong to him and I serve. I love that order. I don't serve him and then I belong to him. I belong to him and therefore because I belong to him, I serve him. My identity is not in what I do. My identity is in him. Stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Paul's faith is in God, not in the boat. And so if the boat goes down, Paul isn't going down with it. He belongs to God. He doesn't belong to his belongings. And when you don't belong to your belongings, you're going to lose them all and you haven't lost a thing. <laughs> you still have God and he's stronger than the boat. He rules over the wind and the waves. He speaks and creation obeys him. And so if you lose it all but belong to God, you're still secure. There's nothing wrong with the boat, but the boat is not where you put your trust. Your relationship might be good, but the greatest relationship you need is a relationship with your creator, God Almighty. And that is the one relationship that will sustain you. Verses 25, 26, we're nearly done. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Look at what he says, keep up your courage. He speaks hope. You know, we need to be hope dealers. There's a lot of drug dealers out there. There's a lot of dope dealers out there. We need to be hope dealers. In a world full of darkness, we need to be people who bring light. In a world full of hopelessness, we need to speak life. We are people. We are people who speak what God says. And so we don't just keep looking at the wind and the waves and talking about the wind and the waves and how awful they are. We look beyond the wind and the waves to the greater reality. And we speak. There's 276 men on this boat. And at the start of it, they're all macho and courageous and now they're in pieces. But one man, one man, one prisoner, the one whose hope is in God and not in the boat is able to speak courage. And he says, take your eyes off the boat. And he points them to God. Look at what he says. He says, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. I have faith in God. I don't have faith in my feelings. I don't have faith in majority opinion. I don't have faith in what everyone else says. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. In other words, my, my, it's not about what I just think or what I just feel. It's not just conjecture. It's not just a nice idea. If God said it, I believe it. It will happen, he says. It will happen. God has told me we will survive this storm. So my faith is not in what I feel. My faith is in what God says. It will happen. Even if my circumstances don't change, it will happen. Even if the situation gets worse every day, it will happen. Even if I'm battered and bruised and broken and I can't hang on much longer, if God says he will get me through it, it will happen. You might lose some stuff along the way that was important, but if God says that stuff is in your past and you've still got a future, then it will happen. Even if the boat falls apart, even if the worst that you could have imagined does happen, if your hope is not in the boat, it will happen because the word of God is stronger and more important to you. My faith is not in the boat. My faith is in the word of God. And I can take that to the bank because it will happen. Let's read the last verse, verse 44. In this way, everyone reached land safely. They made it through the storm. The boat sinks, but they all survive. And here's what I want to say to some of you this morning. Every storm has an ending. This storm went on for weeks here. 
And one stage it looked like the darkness was never going to lift and the, the waves were never going to stop. And I want to say to you today, you are going, if you're going through a storm, every storm has an ending. Some of you really need to hear that because I've been in some horrendous storms and in the middle of them, I have honestly almost given up hope. But the storm came to an end. And you might come through it battered and bruised and a bit broken. You might lose some stuff in the storm. But I want to say to you that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you will come through the storm. God might not take you out of the storm, but he will take you through the storm. You might be battered and bruised and broken, but you'll get through the storm. You know, I have a friend, just the one. <laughs> just the one. It's my wife, no. Uh, I have a friend who's a, a massive football fan. He actually supports Liverpool. God love him, I know. Um, and he travels overseas a lot. And he, he always records. He doesn't always get to see the games. And so he Skype pluses them or whatever it is and records them and, and uh, watches them when he comes home. But he said something to me which is weird. He said, you know what? I always look at the score before I watch it. And I only watch it if Liverpool win. <laughs> I thought that was weird. I said to him, does it not spoil it for you? He says, no, it makes it better. Because he says, I'll tell you why. No matter how many goals we're down, I know we're going to win. No matter how defeated we look, I know we're going to win. No matter at half time, how weary we are, I know we're going to win. No matter how much it looks like things are against us, I know we're going to win. No matter how many men are sent off, I know we're going to win. And so he says, it makes it so much better because I can watch the game knowing that no matter what is happening during the game, by the time the end of the game comes, we are going to win. And I want to say that to you, church, today. I have read this book and I know how it ends. And it ends with you winning. It ends with you before Almighty God, Jesus at his right hand, your Lord, your Savior. All evil is vanquished, all sin is gone, Satan is thrown into a fiery lake, and you win, and you get to spend forever with the Lord your God in eternity. And so maybe you're in a storm right now, but I just want to speak God's word over you. Would you stand? And I just want to declare the word of God over you this morning. things through Christ who gives you strength. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You are more, more than a conqueror in Christ. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And you know what the answer is? Nothing or no one. You might be in the storm, but I'll tell you what you know. You have a Savior who walks in the storm, and that which is over your head is already under his feet.